Today is day eight of our reading plan. And we will be going through Genesis chapter 36 through 40 today. Lord, Heavenly Father, we invite you into this time to study your word, to understand your truth, and to get to know you better. Thank you, Lord, for revealing yourself in Scripture so far. And I pray, Lord, that you would invite us into all truth as we enter into your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, these are the records of the generations of Esau, that is, Edom. Esau took his wives from the daughters of Canaan. Adah, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and Aholibama, the daughter of Anah, and the granddaughter of Zibion, the Hivite. Also Basemeth, Ishmael's daughter, the sister of Nebaioth. Ada bore Eliphaz to Esau, and Basemeth bore Ruel, and Aholibama bore Jush, and Jalam, and Korah. These are the sons of Esau, who were born to him in the land of Canaan. Then Esau took his wives and his sons and his daughters and all his household and his livestock and all his cattle and all his goods which he had acquired in the land of Canaan and went to another land away from his brother Jacob. For their property had become too great for them to live together and the land where they sojourned could not sustain them because of their livestock. So Esau lived in the hill country of Seir. Esau is Edom. These then are the records of the generations of Esau, the father of the Edomites, in the hill country of Seir. These are the names of Esau's sons. Eliphaz, the son of Esau's wife Adah, Ruel, the son of Esau's wife Basemeth. The sons of Eliphaz were Timon, Omar, Zepho, and Gatam, and Kenaz. Timnah was a concubine of Esau's son Eliphaz, and she bore Amalek to Eliphaz. These are the sons of Esau's wife Adah. These are the sons of Ruel. Nahath and Zerah, Shammah and Mizah. These were the sons of Esau's wife Basemeth. These were the sons of Esau's wife Aholibamah, the daughter of Anah and granddaughter of Zibion. She bore to Esau Jush and Jalah and Korah. These are the chiefs of the sons of Esau. The sons of Eliphaz, the firstborn of Esau, are Chief Teman, Chief Omar, Chief Zepho, Chief Kenaz, Chief Korah, Chief Gatam, Chief Amalek. These are the chiefs descended from Eliphaz in the land of Edom. These are the sons of Adah. These are the sons of Ruel, Esau's son. Chief Nahath, Chief Zerah, Chief Shammah, Chief Mizah. These are the chiefs descended from Ruel in the land of Edom. 
These are the sons of Esau's wife, Basemith. These are the sons of Esau's wife, Oholibamah. Chief Jush, Chief Jalam, Chief Korah. These are the chiefs descended from Esau's wife, Oholibamah, the daughter of Anah. These are the sons of Esau, that is, Edom, and these are their chiefs. These are the sons of Seir, the Horite, the inhabitants of the land, Lotan and Shobal and Zibion and Anah, and Dishan and Ezer and Dishan. These are the chiefs descended from the Horites, the sons of Seir in the land of Edom. The sons of Lotan were Hori and Hemam, and Lotan's sister was Timnah. These are the sons of Shobal, Alvan and Manahath and Ebal, Shepho and Onam. These are the sons of Zibion, Aya and Anah. He is the Anah who found the hot springs in the wilderness when he was pasturing the donkeys of his father Zibion. These are the children of Anah, Deshan and Hoholibama, the daughter of Anah. These are the sons of Deshan, Hemdam and Eshban and Ithran and Cheran. These are the sons of Ezer, Bilhan and Zeavan and Akan. These are the sons of Deshan, Uz and Aran. These are the chiefs descended from the Horites, Chief Lotan, Chief Shobal, Chief Zibion, Chief Anan, Chief Deshan, Chief Ezer, Chief Deshan. These are the chiefs descended from the Horites, according to their various chiefs in the land of Seir. Now these are the kings who reigned in the land of Edom before any king reigned over the sons of Israel. Bela, the son of Beor, reigned in Edom, and the name of his city was Dinhabah. Then Bela died, and Jobab, the son of Zerah of Bozrah, became king in his place. Then Jobab died, and Husham of the land of the Temanites became king in his place. Then Husham died, and Hadad, the son of Bedad, who defeated Midian in the field of Moab, became king in his place, and the name of his city was Avith. Then Hadad died, and Samla of Masrekah became king in his place. Then Samla died, and Shaul of Rehoboth on the Euphrates River became king in his place. Then Shaul died, and Baal-Hanan, the son of Akbor, became king in his place. Then Baal-Hanan, the son of Akbor, died, and Hadar became king in his place. And the name of his city was Tau, and his wife's name was Mehetabel, the daughter of Matred, daughter of Mezahab. Now these are the names of the chiefs descended from Esau, according to their families, 
and their localities by their names. Chief Timna, Chief Alva, Chief Jetheth, Chief Aholibama, Chief Elah, Chief Pinan, Chief Kenaz, Chief Timon, Chief Mibsar, Chief Magdiel, Chief Iram. These are the chiefs of Edom, that is, Esau, the father of the Edomites, according to their habitations in the land of their possession. Now Jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned, in the land of Canaan. These are the records of the generations of Jacob. Joseph, when seventeen years of age, was pasturing the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a very colored tunic. His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, and so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. Then Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Please listen to this dream which I have had, for behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf rose up and also stood erect, and behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. Then his brother said to him, Are you actually going to reign over us? Or are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now he had still another dream, and related it to his brothers, and said, Lo, I have had still another dream, and behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. He related it to his father and to his brothers, and his father rebuked him, and said to him, What is this dream that you have had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow ourselves down before you to the ground? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Then his brothers went to pasture their father's flock in Shechem. Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send you to them. And he said to him, I will go. Then he said to him, Go now and see about the welfare of your brothers and the welfare of the flock, and bring word back to me. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. A man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, what are you looking for? He said, I am looking for my brothers. Please tell me where they are pasturing the flock. 
Then the man said, They have moved from here. For I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. When they saw him from a distance, and before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Now then, come, and let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits, and we will say a wild beast devoured him. Then let us see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard this and rescued him out of their hands and said, Let us not take his life. Reuben further said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit that is in the wilderness, but do not lay your hands on him, that he might be rescued out of their hands to restore him to his father. So it came about when Joseph reached his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the very colored tunic that was on him, and they took him and threw him into the pit. Now the pit was empty without any water in it. Then they sat down to eat a meal, and as they raised their eyes and looked, behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites was coming from Gilead, with their camels bearing aromatic gum and balm and myrrh, on their way to bring them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it for us to kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then some Midianite traders passed by, so they pulled him up and lifted Joseph out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty shekels of silver. Thus they brought Joseph into Egypt. Now Reuben returned to the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, so he tore his garments. He returned to his brothers and said, The boy is not there. As for me, where am I to go? So they took Joseph's tunic and slaughtered a male goat and dipped the tunic in the blood. And they sent the varicolored tunic, and brought it to their father, and said, We have found this. Please examine it, to see whether it is your son's or not. Then he examined it, and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. So Jacob tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his loins, and mourned for his son many days. Then all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, Surely I will go down to Sheol in mourning for my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the bodyguard. 
And it came about at that time that Judah departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adulamite, whose name was Hira. Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite, whose name was Shua. And he took her and went in to her. So she conceived and bore a son, and he named him Ur. Then she conceived again and bore him a son, and named him Onan. She bore still another son, and named him Shelah. And it was at Chazib that she bore him. Now Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord took his life. Then Judah said to Onan, Go in to your brother's wife, and perform your duty as a brother-in-law to her, and raise up offspring for your brother. Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So when he went into his brother's wife, he wasted his seed on the ground in order to not give offspring to his brother. But what he did was displeasing in the sight of the Lord, so he took his life also. Then Judah said to his daughter-in-law Tamar, Remain a widow in your father's house, until my son Shelah grows up. For he thought, I am afraid that he too may die like his brothers. So Tamar went and lived in her father's house. Now after a considerable time, Shua's daughter, the wife of Judah, died. And when the time of mourning was ended, Judah went up to his sheep shearers at Timnah, he and his friend Hira the Adulamite. It was told to Tamar, Behold, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. So she removed her widow's garments, and covered herself with a veil, and wrapped herself, and sat in the doorway of Enaim, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah had grown up and she had not been given to him as a wife. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a harlot, for she had covered her face. So he turned aside to her by the road and said, Here now, let me come in to you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. And she said, What will you give me that you may come in to me? He said, therefore, I will send you a young goat from the flock. She said, moreover, will you give a pledge until you send it? He said, what pledge shall I give you? And she said, your seal and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her and she conceived by him. Then she arose and departed, and removed her veil, and put on her widow's garments. When Judah sent the young goat by his friend the Adulamite to receive the pledge from the woman's hand, 
he did not find her. He asked the men of her place, saying, Where is the temple prostitute who was by the road at Enaim? But they said, There has been no temple prostitute here. So he returned to Judah and said, I did not find her. And furthermore, the men of the place said, There has been no temple prostitute here. Then Judah said, Let her keep them, otherwise we will become a laughing stock. After all, I sent this young goat, but you did not find her. Now it was about three months later that Judah was informed, Your daughter-in-law, Tamar, has played the harlot, and behold, she is also with child by harlotry. Then Judah said, Bring her out and let her be burned. It was while she was being brought out that she sent to her father-in-law, saying, I am with child by the man to whom these things belong. And she said, Please examine and see whose signet ring and cords and staff are these. Judah recognized them and said, She is more righteous than I, inasmuch as I did not give her to my son Shelah, and he did not have relations with her again. It came about at the time she was giving birth that, behold, there were twins in her womb. Moreover, it took place while she was giving birth. One put out a hand, and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on his hand, saying, This one came out first. But it came about as he drew back his hand that, behold, his brother came out. Then she said, What a breach you have made for yourself. So he was named Perez. Afterward, his brother came out, who had the scarlet thread on his hand, and he was named Zerah. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian official of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him, and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight, and became his personal servant and he made him overseer over his home. And all that he owned he put in his charge. It came about that from the time he made him overseer in his house, and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned, in the house and in the field. So he left everything he owned to Joseph's charge, and with him there he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, 
It came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph. And she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and he has put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? As she spoke to Joseph day after day, he did not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. Now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the household was there inside. She caught him by the garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled outside, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought in a Hebrew to us to make sport of us. He came in to lie with me, and I screamed. When he heard that I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled and went outside. So she left his garment beside her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with these words. The Hebrew slave whom you brought to us came into me to make sport of me. And as I raised my voice and I screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. Now when his master heard these words of his wife, which she spoke to him, saying, This is what your slave did to me, his anger burned. So Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the jail. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail, so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge, because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. Then it came about after these things, the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was furious with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. So he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard in the jail, the same place where Joseph was imprisoned. The captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them, and he took care of them, and they were in confinement for some time. Then the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt, who were confined in jail, both had a dream the same night, each man with his own dream, 
and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning and observed them, behold, they were dejected. He asked Pharaoh's officials, who were with them in confinement in his master's house, Why are your faces so sad today? Then they said to him, We have had a dream, and there is no one to interpret it. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph, and said to him, In my dream, behold, there was a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. And as it, w- as it was budding, its blossoms came out, and its clusters produced ripe grapes. Now Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, so I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I put the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you will put Pharaoh's cup into his hand according to your former custom when you were his cupbearer. Only keep me in mind when it goes well with you, and please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For I was in fact kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing that they should put me in this dungeon. When the chief baker saw that he had interpreted favorably, he said to Joseph, I also saw in my dream, and behold, there were three baskets of white bread on my head. And in the top basket, there were some of all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, and the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. Then Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation. The three baskets are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and will hang you on a tree and the birds will eat your flesh off you. Then it came about on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants. And he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his office, and he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But... He hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. All right. So, we see chapter 36 with the line of Esau. Now, again... We may wonder here, why is this here? If Edom was the one not chosen by God, meaning that J- Jacob was favored above Esau, Esau is seen more as like a villain here, um, 
Why does he get a whole chapter to him? We see not only for the sake of Isaac, because of Isaac's faithfulness, that Esau is recognized here, but you also get to understand as well that God still loves Esau, even though he hates what he's done. He still loves Esau, and he shows his mercy and his kindness by allowing a whole chapter to be about him in his lineage. And again, we're going to see the kingdom of Edom come back when Israel is traveling in the wilderness going towards the promised land of Canaan. So we will see Edom again, the, the, the kingdom. But this will be the last time that we see Esau. Now, and then we in chapter 37, we see a likely a familiar story to most people, you know, the, you know, especially in children's Sunday school, you know, the coat of many colors and um, stuff like that. And at, at a glance, it does look like um, that Joseph is being a little arrogant, you know, like, well, I had all these dreams about you guys bowing to me and mine is best, mine is the best of all. And they got super jealous of him. I mean, if they're just dreams, I don't know why they're getting all upset about it, except they're, they're tired of his arrogance. But, I mean, that's a quite a, uh, a leap, isn't it? Isn't it quite a leap to go from just jealous of him to wanting to kill him just because of these dreams? And it makes you wonder if he's done other things that just annoyed him to the point where they just wanted to kill him. I mean, that's that's pretty serious. Well, there's 12 brothers. If we lose one, that's still a pretty good ratio. So, I mean, I don't know where their mindset was, but it wasn't in a good place. So, but you also see that they, a couple of brothers had some mercy on him as well, that they didn't want to see him killed, especially Reuben. So, um, so we see, we know the story, you know, they sold him to, to slavery in Egypt and, um, they told, they told Jacob that he was murdered, brought him back the, some bloody, the bloody garments. And you see his, his favorite son, really his favorite son, uh, gone and just how it devastated Jacob devastated him completely and then it's really interesting how we go from you would think this would be the transition to go from Joseph being sold to Potiphar and then you go straight into Joseph being in Potiphar's house but then you have this story here in the middle that seems a bit out of place at first um, what, chapter 38 with Judah. And now, again, I always am so surprised because Judah is the line of the Messiah and ends up being the more godly kingdom of Israel when they separate later. And yet, what he did is not godly at all. So, you see Judah take a Canaanite, which... 
you know, that it was not what they wanted. Isaac didn't want that for Jacob. Esau did it. And look at the what happened there. And so I'm sure Jacob was, was clear with them, don't take Canaanite women, but he did anyway. And so uh, they had a son named Ur, very creative name, E-R, Ur. <laughs> but um, then he was evil, so God killed him. And then Onan came, and it says, I mean, if, if we don't understand what's going on here, just to get some clarity, uh, verse 8 says, Go into your brother's wife and perform your duty as a brother-in-law. So what does that mean? Well, the way that it worked, the practice at the time, was that um, if, your, um, if your brother passed away and left a widow, and they didn't have any kids in their law in their tradition you would take that widow of your brother and make them your wife and then you have children with them in order to uh, carry on the legacy of your brother but we see Onan refused to do that I'm not going to go into detail I think you can kind of figure that out yourself and God killed him too because he was disrespectful to not only his father's will, but also to what God wanted had to happen. So he was taken as well. And then we see that Judah had a third son who was very young, and he told the widow, Tamar, to wait until this boy was old enough to be the husband, and they would carry on the legacy that way. But then we see... Judah, um, Judah's wife passed away, and instead of just leaving it like that, he goes and finds a prostitute and satisfies himself, and which is not the right thing to do by any means. Prostitution, prostitution is never the answer, and God hates that stuff. Judah was not faithful to her to his promise to Tamar. And so she kind of knew she was she was pretty smart. She took some things as a pledge, and just in case they came back to bite them, then she had some backup. Say, hey, look, I'm pregnant, and this is the guy who did it. And oh, that's my father-in-law. So that was awkward. And she and he said she is more righteous than I am. So, very odd story there. And then we go into chapter 39, where Joseph is in the house. Potiphar, we know the story. You know, everything he did, he did successfully because God was with him. The wife lusted after him and just refused to let it go until she trapped him, cornered him, and Joseph made a mistake in that way. Okay, but let me make something very clear about this. Joseph's reaction to Potiphar's wife was a very godly response. And this is a challenge, especially to men, because men are more weak at this area. But if a woman is lusting after you or pursuing you and you know it's wrong, or and this could be not just in this way, but there's 
other ways that we can lust. And um, the Bible is very clear about this stuff. That's all considered under the umbrella of sexual immorality. And the Bible is very clear throughout it, you know, Old and New Testament. It says to flee sexual immorality. Run away from it. Don't try and resist it, because you will not resist it. You will fail at resisting. Flee. Get away from the source of it. Get away as fast as you can, because if not, you will be trapped. You will succumb to it. Joseph's response was spot on. When, the, when things got bad on that, he fled. He got out of there. And that is the response we should all have when it comes to these things. However, God's plan was for him to go to prison. And in the prison, you know, we don't really know how long he was there yet, but um, he was there for a while. And even in jail, everything he did, he was successful because God was with him. And you can tell that during this time that God matured him. He probably struggled and wrestled with the thoughts of, why me, Lord? I'm 17 years old when I get taken to to Egypt. Why me? Why did you allow me to be taken into slavery by my own brethren, my own brothers? Taken away from my dad, who loved me so much. Why did you allow me to get into Potiphar's house, be so successful, and then you just take it away from me? Why did you throw me into jail? And even in there, I was successful. Why did you just lock me in jail where the whole world forgot about me? I'm sure that he struggled with these very thoughts. And we can get these same thoughts as well. Why, did God, did you put me in this situation? Why, God, do you allow me to have this physical ailment? Lord, why do you have me here? Why, do you, why is this going on? Why, is it, why are you causing me to struggle? And at first, it, if we look at it superficially, it can make one bitter at God. That God is just like a big kid with a magnifying glass. He's shining it on me, trying to zap me like an ant. He's just trying to make me miserable because he loves making, he loves toying with me. And if that is our mindset as we address the Lord, we are very wrong, and we really do not understand him. That is not how God operates. Joseph is learning the lessons now, and we don't always understand the lessons when they are happening. But we will see, near the end of the book of Genesis, Joseph understood exactly why it had to happen this way. And we may not understand it like that, until much after the issues actually happened. The challenges, the trials in our lives, the sicknesses, the stresses, those things are for a purpose. We may not understand the moment, but God will teach us a lesson through it. We just have to be willing to listen and not resist Him, and especially not hate Him for it. Because if we truly understand that God is good, and he makes no mistakes, and everything he does is the best possible outcome, then we can rest assured that what he will do is the best for us. 
and that he knows better than we do, especially when it comes to sin. If we are living a life of sin or unrepented sin, we're still trying to dabble in it on the side, and God is causing us to be miserable, that should be a, a wonderful thing. Do you know why? Because that means he's he does not want you to be comfortable in your sin. He wants your sin to be as miserable and uncomfortable as possible so that you, real, you can realize and recognize, wait a minute, I am not supposed to be doing this. I know I was not supposed to be doing this. And God is trying to nudge me out of this situation. Do not resist him. He knows what he's doing. All he asks us is to trust him. And we see that maturity in chapter 40. You see that Joseph has deepened his relationship with the Lord. We, it's not really said particularly, but you see some of the light bulbs going off in, in Joseph's mind. and um, He now is mature enough to trust interpretations of dreams to God. And he did them correctly through the power of God. So um, he asked that the chief cupbearer remember him, and the cupbearer forgot him, which I'm sure was very frustrating. But we will see in chapter 41 that Joseph was remembered finally. It took a couple of years, years, but... He was remembered, and then he will become vice commander of Egypt. And then the dreams that he had as a kid will start to be coming true when his family comes to Egypt looking for food, and we kind of know the story from here. So, But we're already almost done with the book of Genesis. Just need two more days, and we have completed Genesis. Pretty crazy how fast this is going. So rest assured, take if you're going to take something away from today, Christ did not suffer in vain for you. Christ puts you in trials in your life for a purpose. And it's not just to make you miserable. Life is miserable sometimes because we're in a sinful world. But when God's hand is upon you, whether it be good or bad, rest assured that his purpose for you is good. And don't ever forget that. It's so easy to get bitter and angry at him that things aren't going your way. But in reality, if we truly understand how much greater and more mighty and more how holy God is compared to us, the specks of dust that we are in his grand universe, then we have no argument with him. And we just need to trust that what he's doing is right. And we put that trust, that faithfulness, God rewards us for that faithfulness. Isn't that what's required of us? It says elsewhere in the Bible that it, without faith it is impossible to please him. And those that want to please him, must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who please him. It requires seeking him.
and trusting him. And I hope we can do that today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you Monday. Take care, and God bless.